Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to, uh, to open our hearts and our ears to your truth. Uh, Lord, I ask that you'll help us to remain focused for this next little while um, and to hear what you are saying to us from your word in this moment by your spirit. And would you help me to communicate that effectively as well and bless that sneeze in our venue in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> All right. So... Um, we are jumping back into the series called One, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, we've been journeying through the Old Testament, um, one book each week, giving an overview uh, of that book. But ultimately, and I want to remind you of those first two sermons, um, ultimately this is about how the Old Testament is one unified story that leads to Jesus. That's really what this is all about. That's why it's one book, one week, one story. We want, we want to bring that across. I, I trust that the last three months you've, you've picked that up. But certainly before we, uh, we left, you know, we wanted to make that very clear. And uh, maybe you missed it, but as I said it right now, you know, one unified story that leads to Jesus. That is actually a Bible project phrase. The Bible Project, an amazing organization in Portland, uh, in, in the States, who actually do these Bible overview videos uh, about topics and books in the Bible. And this is one of their catchphrases, that the Bible is one unified story that leads to Jesus. Now, the reason I'm quickly talking about the Bible Project is because over time we've used the Bible Project videos sometimes to introduce a book that would be preached. If it was appropriate, we would show that video. We're actually going to do that today as well. But before we do that, um, I want to just show you some pictures. This is one of those gifts the Lord gave me. Um, while I was on sabbatical. So I was in Portland for, um, you know, just over a week visiting an old friend, and I'm standing in front of the Bible Project offices there. I, I actually got to meet one of the employees who took me through their offices, gave me a tour of the animation studios and what they do, uh, uh, you know, for the worldwide church, you know, but actually in their physical location. So that was a real gift. That was on the Saturday. Um, so I didn't meet too many people. You know, I don't think they work on a Saturday, which I think, I think is a good practice. But um, uh, on the, the next day, I actually went to my friend's church in Portland. the only church service I attended at, um, uh, in, on my sabbatical. And guess who sat right next to me? You might not know who that is, but that is Tim Mackey. 
who is the founder of the Bible Project. And you hear his voice in pretty much every single Bible Project video that we've watched. He sat right next to me. So I was just so thankful for an opportunity to look him in the eye, obviously introduce myself, and to say to him, thank you so much for what you do. You are blessing my church, our church. We are currently preaching through a series. We are using your resources to help frame each of these weeks. And, uh, you know, I was able to say thank you to this person face to face. So what, what a gift that was. I didn't plan that. that just, that's just how good God is, that he arranged for that to happen. So, you know, I mean, I didn't want to name drop or any of those things. I really wanted to show you that it had to do with the sermon that we are involved in. And of course, you know, I was very blessed by that as well. But let's, uh, let's kick off the sermon by reading Psalm 1 together. I think it would be appro- appropriate. We heard in that video that Psalm 1 and 2 kind of frames this whole Uh, a collection of books. So let's read Psalm 1 together if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, I'll just read it slowly and follow along with me if you can. Blessed is the man, uh, and you know the footnotes here, the man or woman. Blessed is the, the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. So that's Psalm 1, but all of the Psalms, as uh, you, you would have heard in that video, they are uh, you know, constructed really over, over a thousand years uh, you know, by different authors. Um, so not all of them were alive in the same era and generation, and it was when they were without a temple. So they had this sort of song book, this hymn book that they could use to be in a virtual temple. I like the way they described that, you know. Um, but, you know, it is broken up into certain sections. Maybe it's worth mentioning a few of them. Uh, the Hallel, that is uh, uh, Psalms 113 to 118. They focus specifically on the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And those were the psalms that uh, often were sung and, and read during the Passover festival, where they remembered that they were redeemed from slavery because of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. So they would use that collection of psalms uh, during that festival. Uh, there's also the Songs of Ascent. Uh, that's Psalm 120 to 134. Those collection of psalms are used when the pilgrims would journey to Jerusalem to, to, you know, on the, en route there to celebrate a feast. Uh, they would use those psalms to kind of sustain them uh, and to sing those psalms on, on their journey uh, to the city. Um, so you can check those out. And as you saw in the video that, you know, five main books is what the whole book of, uh, the, the book of psalms is broken up to. Five big sections. Um, and many say, you know, it kind of represents the, the Torah. That Psalm 1 talks about the law of the Lord, which we know is the first five books of uh, the Bible. So... Um, uh, or at least for them it was. Uh, so so uh, the genre is poetry. We were already talk, talking a lot about the fact that it's songs that are, are to be sung. And it's important to notice that because uh, we have to understand how to obviously interpret some of the metaphors that is used in here. Um, you know, there's different categories of poetry. There's praise 
uh, Psalm 150 will be one we'll end off with that, just a psalm of praise. Uh, many of them, 67 of these psalms, so a large portion, majority of them, is lamenting. Uh, um, and uh, there's psalms of thanksgiving, uh, psalms that, that retrace the salvation history uh, of the nation, songs uh, and psalms about kingship, uh, uh, about wisdom, and about trust. So all these various categories you can break them into. Um, and it's important for us to understand that this is poetry and that there are these categories of poems. Why is it so important for us to know? Well, because, for example, if it's a wisdom psalm, uh, we have to interpret what is written there as principles, not necessarily as promises. Okay? Mm. Like, you know, there's, there's a way to interpret a, a, a wisdom literature. Um, and you've got to know the difference. Um, if it's a royal psalm, you've got to ask the question, is this about that king that was writing it, or a king in those days, or is it about the Messiah, the king of kings, a divine king? It's good to know that that's the kind of psalm, and then ask the question, what kind of king is being written about here? Um, if it's a lament psalm, a psalm that's filled with, 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 with cries and, and complaining and moaning, uh, you have to uh, know that because you understand that actually this is not 100% truth, this is 100% honest, but it doesn't mean that what is said over there I can just apply and claim as a promise uh, necessarily because this is a, an emotional reaction here and uh, the, the psalmist is bringing their raw emotions to the Lord, trusting that he will take that and turn it into something for his good and God's glory. So, um, yeah, we, we, uh, we talked about this lamenting as a, as a godly uh, uh, way of responding to suffering. It's not mere venting to the Lord. Um, so when you see lamenting take place in here, and when you lament before the Lord, the trajectory generally in the Psalms is it goes from doubt, where are you God, are you even real, uh, and doubt then leads to trust. No, my bad, you are. <laughs> my bad, you're, you're in charge. It generally does the full journey. It doesn't just stop, stop at doubt. Um, if there's anger, uh, anger generally leads to admiration if you, if you look at the Psalms of Lament. Um, if there's sadness, often sadness ends up in joy. It doesn't stay in sadness in the songs of uh, lament. And Psalm 13 that we read a little snippet of is a great example of how it starts off uh, one way but ends off uh, another way. And uh, all of this to say is that emotions, you know, God gave us emotions so that you and I can feel. Um, you know, faith and feelings can, can be married together, most certainly. Uh, because as we read the truth, the Psalms, actually, it changes the way that we think. What we think uh, changes what we believe. And what we believe, in turn, affects our feelings. And I love how Frau actually puts it in his book, uh, that emotions are a terrible master. Like, if you're a slave to your emotions, um, it, it, that's not a good thing. But emotions are, are a good slave if, if, if they lead you to the foot of the Father, to the foot of Jesus, to the foot of cross, of the cross, then emotions are, are wonderful. Use those emotions, but don't be a slave to the emotions. Actually, make your emotions a slave to the truth of God. The Psalms teach us to do exactly that. But probably the biggest thing, and this is what Colossians 3.16 speaks about, you know. It's, uh, I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, Paul writes there, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So we've already established that actually the scriptures, and particularly the psalms, they give us 
prayer vocabulary, right? They give us the words, the correct, appropriate words to say. Uh, and, and, and when we allow the Psalms, as Colossians 3.16 uh, uh, describes, if we allow it to dwell in us richly, and he lists specifically the Psalms to dwell in us richly, actually we find ourselves having the word of Christ dwell in us. I, I wonder if you noticed that. He started off in verse 16. Let the word of Christ, the word of Jesus, dwell in you richly as you admonish one another with Psalms. So I think... Paul there is making that connection again, that actually the Psalms are not just uh, you know, great collections of like, honest feelings before a God and, uh, and, and trusting in the Lord still in spite of, but the Psalms are about Jesus too. The disciples would have, you know, like good Jewish boys, they would have sung and they would have memorized some of these Psalms um, uh, you know, as they were growing up. Even Jesus would have, you know. And... and in the Psalms, all the messianic shadows, so in that intro video, we saw that the last couple of uh, uh, books of, uh, of the Psalms, the last two of the five, uh, focus on a messianic uh, a ruler, a king, and, and his kingdom. And so they would have seen it, you know, as they've grown up, these shadows. But as they walked with Jesus, I'm pretty sure those shadows would have become clearer and clearer, like the substance of what the shadows pointed to as they walked with Jesus. And like, oh my goodness, these songs that I have sung, this kingdom that I've been looking forward to, this king that I've been reading and singing about, I'm walking with him. That must have been an incredible experience as Jesus came into focus. And of course, Jesus helped them see that. Jesus helped them see that his coming, his first coming, accomplished many of what the Psalms were about. And Jesus also showed them that his second coming, the rest of what the Psalms speak about, will be fulfilled. And so there was this amazing, like, yes, he's here now, and he's going to come again, and you know, some of it we taste now, and some of it we'll taste then. It must have been an amazing three years walking with Jesus um, and, and understanding that. But of course, I don't think any better verse describes the point of the Psalms than the verses that pens Jesus' words about the Psalms himself. Luke 24, I think we read that as we kicked off the series. Jesus says to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus, by his own admission, said, that Things were written about me in the Psalms. You know Carly Simon's song, you know, You're So Vain? You probably think the song is about you. Well, it's true of the songs. <laughs> That's, all right? It's not vanity. It's, it's, it's actually about Jesus. That, these songs are about Jesus. A couple of examples. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 12, chapter 10, verses 5 to 7. Actually, the writer of the Hebrews puts the words of Psalm 22 and the words of Psalm 40 in Jesus' mouth. The way the, Hebrew, the writer to the Hebrews writes, he says, that Jesus said this, and then he quotes Psalm 22, and he quotes Psalm 40. Jesus himself, on the cross, quotes from Psalm 22 and Psalms 31 uh, as his last words on the cross. Jesus himself uh, spoke about being the suffering servant, the sovereign king, uh, and both of those we see all over in the book of Psalms. Jesus claimed to be the Lord that is worthy of infant praise in Matthew chapter 21. And in that moment, he was quoting Psalm chapter 8. 
From the mouth of babes you've ordained praise. Jesus, Jesus pointed to Psalm 8 in Matthew 21, saying he's that God. Jesus claimed that the, the, the stone that the builders rejected, he said, I'm that cornerstone. And he was quoting Psalm 118, verse 22 in Matthew 21, when he talked to the crowds about him being the stone that the builders have rejected. And in Psalm 118 as well, there's a line there, that, that, that the, when, Jesus are, uh, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the donkey, the crowd quotes Psalm 118 verse 26 when they, when they sing Hosanna to the King. And, uh, you know, Jesus claimed to be the Lord that David wrote about in Psalm 110 when he says, The Lord said to my Lord, when Jesus talked to his uh, followers and those who were listening, he was talking about Psalm 110 in Matthew 22. And when Peter preached in the book of Acts, the first, the first sermon, uh, he quoted from that as well. And in Acts 13, uh, Paul uh, preached about Jesus as being the son that is spoken of in Psalm 2. We saw that in the intro video. Psalm 1 is, is you know, blessed is the person that, 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 uh, that, uh, that, that you know, walks with the Lord and, and trusts his word. And the man, the ultimate man that did that is what Psalm 2 speaks about. The son, Jesus, the perfect human. And... Paul talks about that in Acts 13. So that's really where you're going to get the most out of the Psalms. Is if you don't just say, oh, what must I say when I'm sad? And find those things. What must I say when I'm happy? And try and find those things. But actually, where are you, Jesus? You will be most edified when you find Jesus in these passages. I've already told you that seeing Jesus together, the Saturday discipline is opening up a song. And actually, this week for our group was Psalm 21. And I thought Corey, who's in my group, did an outstanding job in finding Jesus in this particular psalm. Okay, so I'm going to uh, read Corey's insights to you because we share it on, on WhatsApp. Um, and, and I want to show you that, that Corey actually found Jesus in the contrasts. So not in the comparisons. Or like, this looks like Jesus. He was saying, actually, this, this is the opposite of what Jesus experienced. So let me, let me read Psalm 21. Uh, for you, um, you know, it says, uh, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation he greatly uh, exalts. You have given him his heart's desire, and you've not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings, and you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. Um, I'm just going to stop there. Let me read you what Corey said. Corey says this, man, it's almost like verses 3 to 6 are like an opposite image of Jesus on the cross. Instead of a golden crown, he got a crown of thorns. Instead of life, Jesus died. He emptied himself of glory and was not saved on the cross. Jesus didn't feel the presence of God and cried, why have you forsaken me? In light of all that, saying this psalm is a powerful one for me this morning. I can't believe I'm able to say these words because Jesus endured the opposite of them. Wow. Okay, so, so I want to give you a clue. It's not always like, oh, this looks like. Sometimes you read this and go, man, I know Jesus didn't get this. And I can pray this as a blessing because Jesus got the curse. Isn't it, isn't it powerful? And it's amazing that actually Psalm 21, the next one is Psalm 22, which is the, it's no longer a, 
in contrast to Jesus, but now it's in comparison to Jesus. Jesus himself quoted from Psalm 22 on the cross. Many of this, I don't have time to read it, but as you read this, you go, yeah, verse 17. Uh, um, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We know that happened around the cross. The, God, the gods did that with the clothes of Jesus. Um, let me read you another one. Um, Verse 6, I'm a, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. You know, that's a description of, of, the, of Jesus on that cross being shamed. Um, there's another very profound one here. Um, let me find it for you. Somewhere here. Where is it where it says they pierced my hands and my feet? Can somebody see it? Verse 16. 16, Thank you very much. There we go. It's right above where I first read. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. You know, again, you don't have to go like, I wonder who is Jesus in this? It's like, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? And so, yeah, there's the contrasts and there's the comparisons. And, uh, and, and for us to be mining the scriptures, to be able to see the Lord like that. To see Jesus in these psalms. So let's end off by just praising the Lord together and reading Psalm 150. So if you do have your Bibles with you, uh, just fast forward to Psalm 50. We're going to end off this morning's service uh, with that psalm. The last one in the collection of books. It will not be on screen, so... Uh, You're going to have to read it on your phone or in your paper Bible, but here we go. Psalm 150, verse 1. Read along if you can, otherwise listen intently. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Trust that you would continue to praise the Lord as you dig into the Psalms from here onwards. God bless and goodbye.